Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. In a world boasting all sorts of content on all sorts of platforms, including, of course, all those beleaguered cinemas, sometimes it's helpful to remind filmmakers what exactly they're selling. Anyone? You in the front. Good causes? No. Bold, exciting ideas? No. Novelty and diversity? Well, hardly. What about you at the back? Car chases? Nope. Sequels to previous hits? Well, only if you've got nothing better to offer. It's done. (laughs) Hamlet 2? Doesn't everybody die at the end of the first one? I have a device. The time machine opens, revealing Hamlet and... Jesus! Good luck. Thanks, Jesus. You got my cell number? Yeah. Okay. No, the one thing you're selling in the movies is charm. Intriguing stories, endearing jokes, certainly, but all too often stars, of course. Actors with something extra, as they say. But what drives the marketing department crazy is you can't put your finger on what that extra thing is exactly. These animals are thinking, i got to eat. i got to hunt. i got to... you got to be able to relate to at least... One of those things. What do Chris Pratt, Scarlett Johansson, Vin Diesel, Judi Dench, Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson have in common? It's not immediately obvious, is it? But without it, you're selling snake oil without a snake. I was going to ask if it would be possible not to use my real name when you write the story. What about Anne Boleyn? That's a lovely name. Well, somebody had that. We're going to have to use your real name for me, then. Good looks aren't essential, but they certainly help so long as they're not overpoweringly good looks. The secret of natural beauties like Cary Grant, Julia Roberts, Marilyn Monroe and Ryan Reynolds is they constantly undercut their God-given assets. They play vain or goofy or geeky or idiotic, and we love them all the more for it. You're a pirate. Forgot one very important thing, mate. Captain Jack Sparrow. Not sure I deserve it. TV teen idol Johnny Depp moved to a whole new level when he played deliberately quirky. Characters like Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands and Jack Sparrow. But that sort of charm can evaporate when real life collides with it. Reality and charm are often the exact opposites. So it's a bit of a gamble putting Depp in a true-life account of a famous industrial crime, Minamata. At the cover-up, it's going to be as much of a story as the story itself. I gotta go, come on. You expect me to send you? He'd be a real dumbass not to. Gene, stop. Meanwhile, the Disney Corporation, an organisation that's made its fortune purveying fairy tales old and new, has made some interesting choices in its endless quest to remake all its animated classics. 
Straight remakes have given way to backstories of some famous villains. First, wicked fairy Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, and now 101 Dalmatians' evil fashionista Cruella de Vil. Must be Cruella, your dearly devoted old schoolmate. Cruella de Vil. That's it. Cruella de Vil, Cruella de Vil. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. Oh, to Roger. see her is to take a sudden... Cruella, you may remember, planned to turn all those spotted doggies into fur coats. Wrong on so many levels today, you'd think. But the new movie has a few tricks up its sleeve, notably the charm of its leads. Girl Next Door, Emma Stone, and Toff with no filter, Emma Thompson. Get her. This doesn't have to be a scene. It really, really does. Remind you all that I'm doing this in heels. What was your name? Cruella. If anyone can win us over to the dark side, or rather the dark spotted side, it may very well be the two Emmas. But first, a New Zealand film with charm of its own and a girl with something extra Poppy. I'm Poppy Thompson. We're a family business. What about my apprenticeship day? You need a license for that, and you've got to sit a test. You can teach me. Not now, Poppy, OK? There's a lot going on. You're not fair. The selling point of Poppy, a teenager with Down syndrome, working as a car mechanic for her brother Dave, is that she actually is a girl with something extra, an extra chromosome, in fact. But the other selling point is she's endearingly fearless and has no intention of letting her disability or anything else get in her way. You're back, Poppy. You understand you can't get behind the wheel by yourself, right? But if Poppy's determined to make the most of her opportunities, her pessimistic brother is the opposite. Dave's drinking is getting worse. He gets bullied by his mates into doing freebie jobs for them, so his business is failing. He's clearly got problems. What about that sister of yours? She you signed up yet? Are you looking for someone? I thought you were spoken for. Father had very high hopes for her, you know. Now, that's veteran actor Ken Blackburn playing Uncle Fred, who seems to be just in the movie to offer sage advice and stand in for Dave and Poppy's late parents, who died in a tragic car accident. Could this be the reason Dave's such a mess? Meanwhile, Poppy is getting on with her life. If Dave won't arrange her apprenticeship and start paying her what she's worth, well, she can look further afield. Hi, Luke. Ready? Don't worry, Luke. I've done it before. But cheeky, aren't you? Yes. And she's also got her eye on an old school friend, Luke, with a view to, well, seeing where it goes, I suppose. Poppy is clearly that much maligned term, a feel-good movie, which often means a rather elaborately plotted series of cute scenes culminating in a climactic one where our hero or heroine achieve that impossible goal. Are you going somewhere? An appointment. You're the grease monkey. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Special love. 
But more important than carefully contrived plot lines is we have to love Poppy the character right from the off. And the film benefits enormously from the casting of Libby Hunsdale. Like Poppy, Libby's a firecracker with a remarkable range, beautifully guided by director and writer Linda Nicholl. Well, how'd you get so good? I got a little bit extra. <laughs> you may occasionally feel that Poppy is having a rather easier time in the film than she might have had in real life. But Libby's bubbly performance and endless enthusiasm go a long way to convincing us. There's good support work too, including Seb Hunter as Luke, Poppy's potential new boyfriend, who gives her warmth and helps lift her from a worthy good cause to an actual living character. Do you think I don't know that you've been sneaking around behind my back? I'm fixing Luke's car, but it didn't cost you anything because you don't pay me. And Ari Boyland as Dave does a similar job from the other direction. Is he protecting his kid sister or stopping her make a life for herself? Poppy is set in the world of competitive burnout driving, which clearly means a lot more to places like the Capiti Coast than it does to me. There's a lot of screaming wheelies and smoking, shredding tyres, but I have to say that the scoring system remained elusive to the uninitiated. I thought I told you to stay away, Burton. You don't even give her a chance. But Poppy is undeniably upbeat, its heart's in the right place, the songs, written and recorded by Seb Hunter, are terrific, and above all, it's a showcase to a brand new star. Libby Hunsdale won me over in the very first shots, dancing in front of the mirror in a bridal veil, but she seemed capable of doing anything. Cast stunts, long emotional scenes, jokes, lots of jokes, and holding our attention for an hour and a half. Poppy is quite capable of having her own life. You need to let her go. Left foot brake, right foot gas. The story of Minamata was new to me, though it probably shouldn't have been. The industrial waste in Japan was a well-publicised catastrophe when it came to light in the early 70s. It also led to one of the last great photojournalist features of Life magazine, including one extremely famous photograph. It's also the story of a famous photographer, one Gene Smith. We meet Gene, played by a greying, bearded Johnny Depp, suffering traumas from his recent time in Vietnam as a news photographer. It's a bit of a bump seeing the once eternally young Depp showing his age for a change and attempting the difficult transition from slightly exotic movie star to grizzled character actor. One day, Gene gets a knock on the door. There's a company in Japan that's been dumping their toxic waste into the sea. The people need help. The unlikely named Aileen, played by a French-Japanese actor called Minami, tips Jean off to the fact that Japanese industrial giant Chiso is pumping toxic waste into the waters, mostly mercury. 
What's needed is the greatest photographer on earth to show the world. We need global attention. We need you. I'm the greatest photographer that Life magazine has ever had. But you are. You're the single most impossible photographer that life has ever had. It's a movie, so Gene has to be the greatest photographer on earth, as well as, according to his boss, played by Bill Nye, the most impossible. No journalist in the history of movies has ever been known as just a safe pair of hands or a pretty good photographer. People drop like flies, huh, Bob? You're talking about Minamata. Yeah. See, she knows. She's smart. Is there anybody else here as smart as her? A factory there has been contaminating the bay of some fishing village. See? First they called it the strange disease, then dancing cat fever, and now it's simply called Minamata disease. Director Andrew Levitas resorts to another Hollywood cliché, old-fashioned nepotism, when it comes to persuading the editor to give Gene the assignment. It's a small role, but English audiences will recognise Millie as popular mezzo-soprano Catherine Jenkins, or as she's known to her postman, Mrs Andrew Levitas. I've been following it in the Herald and the Times, small stories every couple of months. But no-one has really covered it. I mean, it's in the goddamn fish. And that's all those poor people have to eat. With Bill Nye's character fired up by the persuasive performance of Catherine Jenkins, Gene takes off to Japan. But he soon wonders if there's a story here. The victims won't talk, nor will the Japanese industrialists, who for some reason aren't keen on publicising their connection with mercury poisoning. Listen to me, I need the pictures, Gene. Bring the story home. cover-up is going to be as much of a story as the story itself. But outside the factories, there are increasingly angry protests from activists and also the families of the people damaged by toxic waste. They demand that Chiso and the Japanese government start taking some responsibility. <laughs> Which is what Minamata is mostly about, of course, but it's framed with the old story of the burnt-out journalist getting back his mojo and becoming determined to fight the good fight. Along the way, he's tempted by bribes, bullied by company goons and, wouldn't you know it, attracted by the lovely Aileen. You cannot let your emotions run the show. Go home. All of which I might have been a bit less charitable about if the story of Minamata hadn't been so fresh to me. Actually, just about all the most Hollywood elements of the film, as is so often the case in films like this, turned out to be true. Even Gene and Aileen falling in love. And the gritty performance of Johnny Depp is rather better than I was expecting. The Native Americans, they believed that a photograph would literally take a piece of the subject's song. But they can also take a piece of the photographer's song. The Minamata story very nearly didn't get told at all, apparently, let alone feature the famous photo of one of the victims, Tomoko, in her bath, one of Life magazine's best-known images. So the film reaches a satisfactory ending, though one with a slightly bittersweet tone. 
Minamata marked the demise shortly afterwards of the once popular Life magazine, the home of so many brilliant stories and photographs before it closed in late 1972. You could say it was progress. It was probably defeated by the twin forces of television and celebrity gossip magazines. But the real life pictures in Minamata are still the best things in the film. Focus on the photograph you want to take. Focus on what you want to say. Going into Cruella, a comedy about the memorable villain of the children's movie 101 Dalmatians, you wonder who exactly it's aiming at. Certainly not dog lovers, and I doubt if the tiny tots would be gripped by the trials and tribulations of a ruthless would-be fashion designer. From the very beginning, I realised I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people. But I wasn't for everyone. The track record of the various writers is hardly standard family fare either. Between them, they wrote films like The Devil Wears Prada, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Fifty Shades of Grey, and a sop to Disney fans, Saving Mr Banks. More girls' night out than kids' stuff, you'd think. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. <laughs> But it also plays fair with fans of the original 1962 animated film and even the Dodie Smith novel. Dotted throughout Cruella are nods and winks to the source material, including regular appearances by Dalmatians. But a new day brings new opportunities. And I was ready to make a statement. We open on schoolgirl Estella, whose hair, half black, half white, is an indication of her character. When things go well, she's adorable Estella, but cross her and out comes the dreaded Cruella. The thing is, I was born frozen. Born bad. And a little bit mad. <laughs> Tragedy strikes her early when her mother is killed, as I say, possibly not for the tinier tots, and Estella runs off to London. There she meets two lovable street urchins. Jasper grows up to be played by Joel Fry, while Horace is Paul Walter Hauser, one of the few Americans to get the Cockney accent note perfect. Sorry, Dick Van Dyke. Well, here's hoping there's a plan C. Well, what's plan C? So what, what I'm saying is, is there a plan C? Yeah, and playing Estella is Emma Stone, so often the cheerleader type, but whose Oscar-nominated turn in The Favourite has opened her up to a far wider range. Estella gets a job in the workshop of evil clothes designer The Baroness. You care what an obstacle wants or feels you're dead. If I'd cared about anyone or thing, I might have died. You have the talent. Whether you have the killer instinct is the big question. Hmm. It's Emma Thompson playing the Baroness as an even more unsavoury, devil-wearing Prada. 
The battle is joined between Estella and her employer, who makes a point of claiming all the credit for anything her underlings come up with. She thought she owned everyone. It's foolish. Unhinged. Well, you're fired. Why are you speaking? I think you've licked me. But there's something about poetic justice that's just so poetic. And, as we hinted before, don't make Estella angry. She already bears a grudge. It turns out that she and the Baroness have crossed paths before. And she's about to get even by setting up a rival business. Heavily disguised, she launches her new career and name at a party held by the Baroness. What was your name? Cruella. Oh. Mm. That's quite fabulous. And you designed this. You did, actually. 1965 collection. Oh, no wonder I love it. It's mine. I fixed it. So how far will the newly named Cruella go to get revenge? Along the way, there are regular pop-ups of familiar characters and themes. Jasper and Horace, the dogs, even early appearances of 101 Dalmatian stars Roger and Anita, Cruella's old schoolmate. You know, I kept staring at you at the party and then it came to me. That's Estella from school. It's not Estella. That's the past. I'm Cruella. The most striking element of Cruella is the amazing costumes, all designed by ten times Oscar nominee Jenny Bevan. I think her 11th is guaranteed after this. But what was more surprising is how directly it was aimed at me. The music alone, all classic tracks from the 60s and 70s, certainly caught my ear. So she works here? Oh, no, no. She was fired. Yeah. We're trying to give these wretches a chance, but, um... Breeding. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> so she doesn't work here. And the performances across the board, especially Emma Thompson, are genuinely hilarious. Australian director Craig Gillespie has a very specific touch. He made I, Tonya, which occasionally and surprisingly this film resembles. She stole my dogs. <laughs> I guess you must hate her. She has made it me or her. And I choose me. Considering the rather cynical brief for this film, there are so many ways in which Cruella could have been, if you'll pardon the expression, a real dog. Messing with a well-loved original is rarely a way to make friends. The dreadful warning of Tim Burton's Dumbo leaps to mind. Don't worry, there's lots more bad things coming. Perhaps... But Cruella is rather better than that if it manages to find the right audience. I thought it was a lot of fun, and yes, it does have a great song at the end. And on that obvious closing line, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.